Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I want to start the program by doing something that I have not done in quite some time. I want to start the day by talking about the Lakers. Used to be we did that all the time. Haven't done that in a minute. So the Lakers beat the Kings 117 to 92 last night. That's the good news. And that's pretty much the end of the good news for the Lakers. Why don't we get to the rest of it? Also yesterday, LeBron James apparently tests positive and he was sent home. Then the team falls behind by 14 to a Kings team that has already fired their head coach. And that's what this season has been for the Lakers. One kick to the package after another. Repeatedly and aggressively. One package blast after another. And then they respond terribly to it. You know, your star and your leader swabs positive. He could be out for a while. And then you come out and you probably get hammered for 24 plus minutes by Sacramento. It's a bad look. In a season of bad looks already, that is a terrible look. Especially when you don't know when LeBron's going to come back. I mean, I can't believe I still have to say this, but... COVID is no joke at all. Like Joel Embiid missed more than 10% of the season with it. So, LA knows that their guy's out. They know they're going to be without this guy. They've already been without this guy for a while. But they know they're going to be without him for quite some time. Then they come out flat and they're that jacked up in the first half against Sacramento in a game they have to have. I mean, credit, I guess, for locking down in the second half and coming back to win by double digits. But so far, that's all this team has done this year. Stack comeback wins against bad teams. And Stack is probably too strong. There really haven't even been that many of those. Like, I know it's December 1st, and I know it's a long season. And I know you never want to jump to conclusions this early in the year, but I've got a truth for you. It's already been a long season. It's already been a long season for the Lakers, and it's only December 1st. So, since we haven't gotten into this in a moment or so, why don't we just do a really quick recap? They've had one injury after another, and some of it's basketball, and some of it is the fact that they signed a collection of extremely old dudes. So, they've been missing key pieces, but even when the pieces are there, they don't fit together. Their defense has been crappy for long stretches of the season, and their offense has been a mess. So... What do we have? They're old. They're hurt. The roster is poorly constructed. The pieces don't fit. And they're jacked up on both ends of the floor. And they don't beat anybody that matters. Other than that, everything is great. I'll tell you what we're not going to do. What we're not going to do is put all of this on Frank Vogel. Man, don't be running this dude under the bus. Now, I know somebody's going to have to pay for the garbage that we're seeing right now. It's going to cost somebody. And it's probably going to be Frank Vogel. I just know that it shouldn't be. Just like I'm pretty sure he's not the one who said at the end of last season, hey, you know what? Why don't we blow this mother bleeper up and then duct tape it back together with a bunch of parts from the 2012 All-Star game that aren't nearly what they once were and certainly will not fit now. I'm pretty sure Vogel did not think to himself, yeah, well, we were up on a good Suns team, 2-1, before Anthony Davis slipped back into his street clothes. Anthony's street clothes Davis. 
and then thought to himself, man, I can't wait to blow this crap up. No way we run this back again. When in reality, that's pretty much what they should have done. I don't think uh, this guy is the one who thought to himself, yeah, let's go ahead and deconstruct and reconstruct and put it back together. No, I don't think that's on him. I don't think that that guy makes those decisions. That's above his pay grade. No, those decisions lie with somebody else. Those decisions lie with the GM, LeBron Lowe. Vogel's not the guy on the floor napping it out defensively nearly every single time down. He's not the guy who assembled a roster full of guys who either can't defend at that level or don't want to defend at that level. This dude's been handed 11 new players and then a truckload of injuries, and you want to blame him for the results. Yeah, I know, Laker fan. You got to blame somebody, right? And now you're coming for Vogel, the guy who led you to a ring like five minutes ago. I'm not saying this dude's perfect. I'm not saying this guy is the greatest coach ever. I'm not saying this guy's without blame. I'm saying he's not the one responsible for the dumpster fire you're seeing here in L.A. now. And sacrificing this dude is not going to fix it either. If you're saying you want to fire a dude 20 games into a season, about five minutes after he won a ring, you're saying that that guy either never knew how to coach or just forgot how to coach. And both those things are a joke. And apparently after seeing his team take yet another dump in its pants in the first half against the Kings last night, he had seen about enough. And essentially, Vogel told his team at halftime, get your asses in gear. Frank, AD alluded to a halftime uh, conversation. It wasn't sure if that was led by coaches or players. What, what did you uh, see at halftime that might have sparked that second half? Yeah, every now and then, you know, the coach has to light a fire under his team. And uh, today was one of those games. You know, we weren't given the, the necessary effort in transition defense. And, um, you know, and with our pick and roll coverages, you know, which we, sp- we talked specifically about tightening the screws on, you know, uh, all day, you know, at shoot around pregame. And um, it wasn't there in the first half. So, you know, sometimes you have to, uh, you have to let them hear it, let them hear about it. And, uh, you know, it was a spirit at halftime, and those guys responded. I'll tell you another problem this guy has. Aside from that roster that LeBron Lowe put together. The problem is, he's made it pretty clear, if you don't play defense, you're not going to play. If you don't play defense, I'm not going to play you. But the problem is, nobody plays defense. So he had had about enough. He also, not only did he light that fire and light into them apparently at halftime, he had had about enough. So he took credit for benching DeAndre Jordan after a bad start and then went with Dwight Howard for much of the game. Just the coach's decision. I felt like Dwight was going to give us a, a lift in this game, and, uh, and I was right. He played terrific. You know, he came in and uh, you know, really changed the game with his energy. Him in particular in that third quarter uh, with his pick-and-roll coverage, he's more familiar with what we, what we do. So he came in and you know, just really uh, set a tone with physicality, with effort, uh, communication, and, uh, and obviously helped us on the boards. And you, know, you see his plus-minus, a plus-27. So just a hell of a night for him. Man, you know this guy knows that people are talking junk about him. You know this guy knows they're putting it on him. If he's saying things like, yes, I did it and I was right, you know he's hearing it. Because that guy's not like that. Frank Vogel is not a, yeah, I'm the one that made the decision. And by the way, I was right. The fact that we're even talking about Dwight Howard and the Lakers in a positive manner, to me, will never not be hilarious.
and awesome. Let me repeat that. The fact that we're talking about Dwight Howard and the Lakers in a positive manner will never, ever not be hilarious and awesome to me. Have we all forgotten what a tool this guy was the first time through? And how much everybody hated everything about his first stint here? And that somehow, some way, Dwight came back, completely reinvented himself, and instead of bringing everybody down and making everything worse, he actually made it better. And then he came back a second time, and he's doing it again. Like the Lakers were on the verge of another embarrassing, damaging loss last night. And who did they turn to? Who did Vogel turn to when he needed somebody to pull their ass out the fire? Dwight bleeping Howard. And he did. 35 minutes, 12 points, 13 big boards, a couple of steals, two blocks, and as Vogel pointed out, freaking plus 27. And I was right. You were right, coach. It's as if Vogel was saying, hey, man, I'm not the one to put this bleep together. Is there anyone here who gives a damn? Anyone who's going to give me more than a half-ass effort? Get the hell in there, Dwight. And then Dwight the bully saves the day. Granted, it was only against Sacramento. Can you imagine how bad that would have been if they find out that LeBron is out and for quite some time, then they go out there and they get beaten by Sacramento and it looked like they were going to? What I'm trying to say to you is this. The Lakers have got a hell of a lot of problems right about now, but Vogel ain't one of them and neither is Dwight the bully. Vogel is not the problem, even if ultimately he probably is going to lose his job over all their other problems. It's not his fault. If, in fact, it goes down like that, it's not his fault. Like, just put everything on Vogel. Why the hell not? Anthony Davis, a seven-footer with a brittle body, Vogel's fault. Russ Westbrook, an inability to shoot the ball consistently and not turn the ball over. That's on Vogel. LeBron, hammer-fisting Isaiah Stewart's face. Vogel, you idiot! Getting rid of key guys who are blowing up all over the league. Caruso, Julius Randle, Kuz, Vogel, 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 always Vogel. Dudes being 10 decades past their prime. I'm telling you, man, this guy's clueless. Fire his ass. You give it another month, we'll find a way to blame Vogues for Space Jam 2. Man, I know LeBron's trying, but he is having a rough summer, isn't he? His GM decisions blowing up in his face. These old dudes coming in, breaking down. And when they're not breaking down, they don't fit together. Oh, and Space Jam 2. That. Space Jam 2. Man, at least they won last night. At least they won last night. It's been a moment or two since we talked about the Lakers. I thought we should start off by talking about that. So LeBron is in the protocol, and they were getting hammered by Sacramento. The coach is taking all sorts of heat. And he turned to the one guy that he can depend on, Dwight the Bully. 1-800-636-8686. And I was right. Dan, he, you were right, Coach. You were right. That's right. Got Dan Wojcik coming up at 940. I'm sure he'll have thoughts on that and more around the NBA. Other things I want to get to today. You know, it's a good day when 
RG3 is in the news. RG3, what an enigma. It's one of those guys that when he starts talking, you have to consider the source. But when he starts talking, I can't look away. When he starts talking, I do consider the source. And now apparently he's got a lot to say. Now RG3 has taken to Twitter to say that he's got a tell-all book in him about the dysfunction with the Washington football team. He took to Twitter to let everybody know that that book is going to drop next summer. Then Twitter took to him to remind him how weird that looks, given that he was begging for a job from that same organization only a couple of months earlier. Like the most RG3 thing ever. Can't wait to get to that. Other things that I want to talk about. Hey, Jags fan. Hey, Jags fan. You thought it was a good thing, didn't you? When that college carousel started to spin, you thought to yourself, hell yeah, it's a hump day. It's our way out. This is our way to get out of Pervin If you're like me, your weekend plans include kicking back, watching some live sports, and it really doesn't matter what sport you're watching. It's always fun to have a little bit of action. Personally, I have my week 13 eye on the Sunday night matchup between San Francisco and Seattle. This is why I recommend downloading the WinBet app right away. Whether you're a recreational player or a serious handicapper, WinBet is your ticket to everything exciting. Whether you're a recreational player or a serious handicapper, WinBet is your ticket to every exciting wager from straight bets to parlays, teasers, any exotic prop wager that you can come up with. And the app is so easy to use. And everybody knows that Win is one of the biggest and best brands in the gaming industry. So get off the sidelines. Join in on the action. Download the WinBet app right now. Download it on Google Play or the Apple App Store. And put yourself in the game with WinBet. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Of course, Dave Clawson is the head coach there. Dave, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks again for having me on. It's always a, an honor to, to be able to speak with you. It's always good to have you, Dave, and I appreciate you making time for it once again. You beat Boston College on Saturday to clinch your spot in the ACC championship game. So let me start right there. What's it mean to be in that game, and what has the week been like so far in preparing for the championship? Well, it's... It's great to be in this game. If you're coaching football this weekend, it means you're playing for a championship. And, you know, we've been here as a staff for eight years. Uh, Some of our players have been here four, five, six years. And it's the accumulation of a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifices uh, by a lot of people. So to be able to represent uh, the ACC Atlantic with programs like Clemson and Florida State and North Carolina State and uh, for it to be us is, uh, I think, a great accomplishment for our young men. You know, I'm glad you laid it out like that because when you talk about those programs and that tradition, I go back to the summer, and over the summer, your quarterback, Sam Hartman, said, quote, if we don't win 10 games this year, that would be a disappointment, end of quote. Given that the school has won 10 games only once in program history, it seemed like a bold statement, but was it? Like, did that seem bold to you or did that seem right on target? Well, when we first got here, I I think to just get to a bowl game and to win six games was an accomplishment. And then we were able to get to five bowls in a row. 
And uh, I said it to our staff and I said it to our team. I said, you know, getting to a bowl is, a, is a, an important accomplishment and one that we always want to do. But if that's our only goal this year, we're setting our sights too low. I really thought we had a chance uh, to have a, an exceptional team this year. Uh, we had a lot of good players back. We have depth. Uh, and I just think we have a lot of talented players on our football team that if we could find a way to win close games and stay healthy, we had a chance uh, to maybe get to double-digit wins. And uh, it was a challenge that the players embraced. Uh, you know, we've had some bounces of the ball go our way, but we've been a very consistent, very competitive football team all year. We're talking to Dave Clawson. You know, the performance this year, Dave, has been really interesting in the sense that earlier this season you told ESPN, we can't take lesser talent and win the race, so we had to change the race. I think that's a really interesting statement. What does that mean exactly, and how did you go about changing the race? I think it's really in two ways. Uh, you know, in an era that everybody focuses on what your recruiting class is ranked and how many stars recruits have, uh, we focus on what we think a player can become. And just because maybe they're not at a certain point as a senior in high school, we focus on where can they be in two or three years. So there's times that we take guys that are maybe just a year away from a developmental standpoint, and we redshirt them. I think of all the Power 5 programs in the country, uh, we redshirt more players uh, than most or if all of them. And then the second thing is schematically, we're a little bit non-traditional. We do some different things on offense that's unique to us uh, that makes preparing for us in a week, you know, somewhat difficult. Uh, we don't run triple option like an Army or an Air Force or a Navy, but it is a different offensive scheme uh, that I, I think, again, makes us a, a tough prep in a week. And, and we have talented players, but I think it's the red shirting and our RPO offensive system that just – we're a little bit non-traditional, and we probably have to be that way here. You know, if we just say we're going to try to recruit against Clemson and Florida State and then not redshirt guys and run the same systems they do, that's probably not going to have a great outcome for us. I like that. Dave Clawson joining us. I'll tell you why I like that. Just schematically speaking, I think what you're getting at, for instance, back in October, you scored 70 against Army while having the ball for less than 18 minutes. You're top 10 in the country at just under 43 points per game. And to that point, like you've said that, yeah, we run the triple option, but we do so, quote, from sexier formations. I understand why you're doing this right now because you just said so. But when did you first start to develop that approach and that thinking? Well, a lot of the credit goes to our offensive coordinator, Warren Ruggiero. Warren and I have worked together for 13 straight years. And we did a little bit of this stuff at Bowling Green. And then when we first got to the ACC in Wake Forest, quite honestly, some of that stuff didn't work when you had to block defensive lines like Clemson and Florida State uh, and NC State and Louisville had some really good defensive lines and BC and Syracuse. And so we had to adapt. Uh, we couldn't just say, well, we're going to keep doing the same thing and hopefully get better players, uh, we had to figure out a system that maximized the ability of our players. And instead of saying, trying to coach around what they couldn't do, let's maximize what they can do. And so, for instance, our RPO system allows us to play with a smaller slot receiver. So we had a little guy, Greg Dorch, who nobody else wanted because he couldn't block people. So we ran a system that he didn't have to block. And instead of controlling for the linebacker by blocking them, uh, the RPO system allows us to control for the linebacker that 
If he's covering, Greg will hand the ball off, and he's going to jump in and, and play the run. We'd throw it to Greg. And so because of that, we've had really productive receivers, and uh, it's a system of offense that players fit into that maybe other people don't want because they're 10 pounds light or an inch shorter or, or whatever. Hey, let me ask you this. Does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Well, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without all that hassle you hate and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content does vary by package. Dave Clausen joining us. I understand that you've got one of the great opportunities ever in front of you this week for you, the staff, the players, the program. I understand that. You're locked in on that. That's your thing. I'm kind of curious, Dave, if you could take just one second and maybe take a step back. When you look at that crazy, crazy coaching carousel that's spinning right now and you see guys leaving programs that guys just don't ever leave. You don't leave Oklahoma. You don't leave Notre Dame. Do you just have a general thought about how insane and how crazy the business has become and some of the things that are happening right now, just generally speaking? Yeah, I, I think the system is, is broke. Um, and the adults in the room who run it need to fix it. And it used to be that you recruited for the season and that the football season was the focus and the student athletes in your program were the focus. And somehow we got it reversed and we moved up the signing date. And now everybody wants to fire people in October uh, and November and, and get their coach hired so they can recruit guys in two weeks and get them signed by the 15th or they miss a whole cycle. And now you have coaches whose teams could be in the college football playoffs that aren't with their team. You have coaches that have led their team to 10 win uh, seasons and going to great bowl games that are taking themselves and their whole staff with them. And I'm not critical of the moves that are being made. To me, the when the, the signing date was in February, you could make these hirings and these decisions in late December or even early January and still have a chance to sign a class. So everything now is geared around recruiting, and, and that's not fair to the student-athletes. We ask them to make so many sacrifices and so many commitments and to eliminate distractions and focus on the season. And, uh, you know, they have coaches leaving, and there's still games to be played. And, you know, I'm not trying to – I'm not holier than now, Jim. I did the same thing. You know, we won a championship at Bowling Green, and two days later I was being introduced at Wake Forest. Um, and really it was, do you want the job? Yes. Well, you got to take it now. Um, and I didn't coach our team in the bowl game. So, you know, I'm a hypocrite with this. I'm, I'm not better than the next person. Um, it's just, it's broken. And I really think this all started with moving the signing date to December. And, uh, I think it would be better for everybody and better for the student athletes and programs 
you know, let's push it back so that all these coaching moves can happen after the bowl games and people don't feel like they're losing a whole recruiting cycle. I appreciate you. I appreciate that response. Dave Clawson is my guest. Before you go, Dave, you are facing Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship game. When you break them down on film, what are the aspects that maybe might keep you up at night? What do they do well? <laughs> Everything. I mean, their quarterback, Kenny Pickett, is one of the very best quarterbacks in the country. Uh, they have an excellent offensive line. Jordan Addison is probably the best receiver we've faced all year. Uh, Pat Narduzzi is always known for coaching aggressive defenses from his days at Michigan State, and this year's Pitt team is no different. If you're going to play in a championship game, you're going to play against a great football team. Uh, you don't get a record of 10-2 and two like Pitt has unless you do a lot of things well. So they're uh, athletic, well-coached. They've won 10 games, and they have uh, – players who play hard and play smart. So it'll be a great challenge for us. That really is a great conversation right there. Wake Forest is 10-2 and two on the year. They're number 16 in the college football rankings and a tremendous opportunity in front of them. It is the ACC championship game. Wake Forest and Pittsburgh Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Dave Clausen, my guest. Dave, I know it's a really busy week. you got a lot on your plate. I appreciate you making time to join us once again on the program. Thanks so much for that and good luck this weekend. Well, thank you. And, and once again, it's always an honor to be on your show, Jim. And now a quick message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Same old RG3, which is good. To this day, one of the most fascinating things I have ever seen in the NFL was the RG3 era in the district. Really fascinating. Enigmatic, whatever you want to call it. Just a very different deal. And the reason I say that is the situation at that time looked like an A++. When I say give me an A or give me an F, that looked like an A++. For him, for them, for everybody involved, you had this guy, you had a two-time Super Bowl champ as head coach, you had an extremely aggressive owner who seemed like he was willing to pay the price and do whatever was necessary to win. Now, we had no idea what that owner was doing at that time, but we thought that you had an owner that was extremely competitive and committed. And you have all these three coming together at one time. You know, the freaky, freaky athletic talent, the Super Bowl winning head coach, the owner who's completely committed to bringing a championship to the district, and what happens? And it looks great to start. The three of them come together, and they take a big, collective, proverbial dump in their pants. Like, it's easy to clown and laugh about now, but there really was a moment where everybody thought that RG3 was a straight Dadonis. I mean, you just step back for a minute. We're talking about a dude who seemed like he was created in a laboratory. A guy that was nearly perfect in his creation in the sense that he had this huge and accurate arm. He had track speed to match. And he took the NFL by storm in 2012. You forget that, right? And then on top of that, you had an iconic. Like he had a skill set that we really hadn't seen before. 
And he had the charisma to match, seemingly. And then on top of that, you had an iconic and renowned lobster. Urgh, coach. And that coach thought that he was riding with a potential all-time great. I mean, what a match, right? You got the quarterback, you got the coach. And then that would-be legend, a quarterback, was all but washed by year three. I mean, like, for lack of a better analogy, it was almost like the Ben Askren of NFL situations, if you would. Perfect record, life could not be better, and then bam, a game-bred flying knee hits you right in the face. Right in my face. I understand that when it goes, it goes fast. But how the hell did something that amazing go that badly that quickly? Yes, injury had something to do with it, had a lot to do with it. Yes, we all have our ideas. But there's got to be a lot more to it that we don't know about, right? Like, what was really happening? What happened behind the scenes? How did that all go down? I want to know. I want to know what was said. I want to know what was done. I want to know what was going on behind closed doors. I want to know. I've always wanted to know. We've all always wanted to know. Well, lucky for all of us, apparently we're going to find out. Because old Bobby has a big ass axe to grind. Apparently wants to set the record straight. Because he's going to drop a bomb. A book. On the WFT's cranium. He took to Twitter with it yesterday. What's up, guys? I'm so excited to announce that I wrote a book, and it's coming out in August 2022, titled Surviving Washington. Now, every experience that I've ever had has made me a better husband, a better father, and a better player. But I want you to take this journey with me as I walk you through one of the most dysfunctional franchises in all of sports. I'm going to tell you the truth about what happened in that playoff game in 2012 against Seattle. I'm going to detail the medical mismanagement that I received during my time in Washington. I'm going to open your eyes to the sexual harassment that permeated the walls of that building and give you a deep dive into a power struggle between one of the most powerful coaches in all of sports and an owner that many of you want gone. They say the truth will set you free. So here it is, unfiltered. Pre-order now. Incredible. That is an amazing promo read, actually. They say the truth will set you free. So here it is, unfiltered. Pre-order now is incredible. That was a great promo. My man, is it a cash grab? Hell yes, and my man's going to get that money. That's so good on so many levels. I mean, on one level, uh uh-oh! On the other level, that is incredible. We're going to get good and bad, Bob. Why don't we start with the good? Hell yes, I want to know more about his situation in D.C. Remember that 2020 playoff game against the Gum Chewers team where he infamously shredded his knee. What exactly happened after that? I mean, did he just run right back out on the field? Did the medical staff clear him? Did they tell him it's all good? Did the lobster rush him back out there prematurely? And although it really is hard to accept anything this guy says about anything at all, I'm here to listen to everything he has to say about the power struggle between the Lobster and the Dan and how jacked up and dysfunctional it was back in the day. Now, you might say, hypocrite, axe to grind, 
totally self-deluded, lacking in any self-awareness at all? To which I say, don't give a damn. Bring it on, Bob. What you got? Oh, and don't forget about the other dude that you played for in the district. Don't leave this guy out either. Don't forget about Jay Gruden. I hope you're in your car listening to me right now, you fat ass. You are despicable because you just let that happen to your star quarterback. And don't tell me you know more than me because you're some head coach. You're an idiot. You're a moron. No one, I don't care who you are. No one does that to a star player in the NFL except you, you loser. My man. Scotty, I love Scotty saying, don't, and don't tell me you know more about football than me because you're a head coach. That was an awesome rant, Scott. You're the man still. But anyway, I want all of that. As good as that promo read was from Bob, how come there was no mention of that, quote, fat ass? I want all of it, Bob. If you're going to do it, man, you go all in. It's got to be some crazy, crazy info there. I want all of it. I want the meddling of Snyder and how you and he advised the lobster on how they should develop you as a quarterback. I mean, that in and of itself has got to be one of the richest things ever. That's the thing, Bob. If you want to throw a bunch of dirt and shovel a bunch of dirt on a bunch of people, that's fine. That's what books are for. That's what's going to sell books, as long as you own it as well. I want to know how you and the Dan came together and told one of the great developers of quarterback. A lobster, sure. But a guy who can develop a quarterback. I wonder what you guys were telling him on how he should do his job in developing you. Forget for a minute that Bob himself said and did some of the most jaw-shattering things ever. Just think about the Dan jumping in to tell the lobster how to do his job. How to develop a quarterback. Dan Snyder, with no football experience himself other than being a longtime fan. And a history of ruining everything he's done for the Washington football team up until that point. Imagine that guy and this impressionable young superstar. Because as the story goes, Jerry Jones once told the Dan, Hey, listen, Dan, I got a piece of advice for you. The one thing you need to do if you want to make it as an owner, stay as close as you possibly can to your superstar, to your franchise quarterback, which is what the Dan did. So the Dan and the Bob went to the lobster to tell the lobster how to develop the Bob. Absolutely incredible, right? So I need to hear from Bobby exactly how that went down. Now, keep in mind, the Lobster's offense was cutting edge at that time. And he had a staff. So, again, you've got the owner and the quarterback in cahoots telling the Hall of Fame coach how to do his job. But on top of that, imagine the staff they had, including some of the brightest minds in the game today. They had the Lobster's son, Kyle. They had Sean McVay. They had Bob's quarterback coach at that time who happens to be the current Packers head coach Matt LaFleur who's 36 and 9 for his career all those guys were on that staff but Snyder and Bob and Bob's dad allegedly had thoughts grind that axe Bobby and do bleeping tell let us know I also want more on the stories, however, of you and the only positive highlight videos as well. That's still awesome. Bob, don't do negative film study. We know that. 
Oh, and can you elaborate on that day that you reportedly called for a meeting and instructed the lobster, the lobster's kid, and LaFleur not to interrupt you as you shared your grievances and your ideas? I need that in there, too. I need confirmation on all of that. Man, you want to talk about a pair. You want to talk about a set. If those stories are true about Bob, nobody had a bigger pair than a young Bob Griffin did. What you got, Bob? Empty the notebook. Bring me the goods. I'll show you the money, and I'll buy that book if you empty all of that out. However, there is one small issue that Twitter did point out after you announced it on Twitter. The timing of this is extremely odd. Because just a few months ago, I could have swore after Fitzmagic went down with an injury, you were tweeting a video of yourself playing in Washington with the caption, make the call. Didn't that happen? So this dysfunctional organization that represented everything wrong to you was actually all good as recently as September to you. Like, this dude's like, I'm the answer to all your problems. I'm here to roll and tell you how it really was and get paid for it. But only after not getting the call that I thought that I deserved back in September. Like, everything was fine back in September. But then when I didn't get that call, now I got a book. Now I've got something to say. Now I've got some information that you need to hear. Now I've got some things I got to get off my chest. I don't know, dude. At worst, that sounds like extortion. At best, it sounds like a money grab. You had nothing to say when it was going down at that time. You had nothing to say as recently as a few months back when you were angling for a job. But now you have everything to say when they didn't bring you back. I mean, see, that's the thing with this dude. I know I have to consider the source. But then again, I can't stop listening to what he has to say because of the source. It's like the dude is just so weird. But in this case, weird is just so good. So get to writing, Hemingway. I need to know. Even if it's you doing the writing, I still need to know. Hell, because it's you doing the writing, I really need to know. But I do have one question. Who gets to write the foreword? Please tell me it's the lobster. And if it's not the lobster... Please tell me it's J.G. Fat ass. And if it's not J.G., please tell me it's Kirk Cousins. Call time out! You like that? I don't know, my man. If I were you, I'd check your mail. I'd check your mail today. I'm pretty sure that, quote, dysfunctional owner's lawyer has already reached out to you. But don't back down. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. No pressure, no diamonds. No pressure, no diamonds. No pressure, no diamonds. No pressure, no diamonds. Pre-order now. Pre-order now. My man is all about it. Did you hear that sell job on that book? That promo on that book? He was hyped. Pre-order now. Yeah, man, some bad bleep went down there, and I got the goods. Yeah, but dude, you were trying to get a job with them only a couple of months back. Pre-order now. Pre-order now is one of my favorite Bob Griffin lines ever. Right alongside, no pressure, no diamonds. Pre-order no now. No diamonds. Pre-order pressure, now. no diamonds. Pre-order no now. No diamonds. Pre-order now. No pressure, no diamonds. Pre-order Pre-order now. Pre-order now. Pre-order now.
No pressure, no diamonds. But yeah, but yeah, but dude, you, you told them you could help them a couple of months back. You were ready to go back to this horrible organization that you can't wait to light on fire. What changed? Oh, they didn't give you a job. Like I said, dude, at best, that's a money grab. At worst, that is straight extortion. Pre-order now. Pre-order now. No pressure, no diamonds. You know what the worst part about that whole thing is? Literally, I'm about to pre-order now. Pre-order now. I'm thinking about it. So it's the holidays, and you deserve a gift, a great gift. How about a gift that keeps on giving you joy and comfort every single day all year long? A gift that looks as good as it feels, and a gift that will actually pay for itself in terms of how much more productive you'll be at work. Of course, I'm talking about giving yourself the gift of an X-Chair. I love mine. It is by far the most comfortable and ergonomic chair I have ever used. And if I'm being honest, it's probably the coolest looking piece of furniture I own. Not only is X-Chair the world's greatest office chair, but with its patented LMAX technology, it doubles as a massage chair and can either cool or warm your back. Can your office chair do that? Doubt it. Now is the perfect time to purchase an X-Chair. Buy early and buy right now. Here is X-Chair's holiday gift to you. Save 100 bucks off your X-Chair just by purchasing it at xchairrome.com. That is the letter X, chair, R-O-M-E.com. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairrome.com and save xchairrome.com. He is Dan Wojcicki. Dan, good to have you back. How are you? Jim, what's there to talk about with the Lakers? Yeah, not much going on, right? Yeah, pretty ho-hum start to the year. The year they're having the fact that LeBron James is entering COVID protocol. Let me ask you this. Like, Joel Embiid missed nine games following a positive test result and from the sounds of it, had a really miserable time. If everything were to go well for LeBron, how much time do you expect him to miss and what's your reaction to that news? Yeah, I mean, I think my reaction, first of all, is that I'm not surprised, right? Like, obviously, like, the pandemic is still happening, Um, you know, people who are vaccinated still test positive for this. Uh, I, what I can tell you, Jim, is that, you know, LeBron, um, like Anthony Davis said last night, uh, LeBron is asymptomatic and typically, you know, an asymptomatic test, at least early in the season, wouldn't have happened um, that, you know, because LeBron is a, a vaccinated player, you don't undergo the same te- kind of testing where they, that they went underwent last year. Uh, but because of Thanksgiving and stuff like that, and kind of the a fear that, Stuff like this could happen. You know, the league started testing uh, players who were asymptomatic. Um, LeBron's test came back positive, and sort of here we are. So I'm not that surprised that it happened. Obviously, you know, when it happens to LeBron James, it certainly adds a a, a new element to all of this. But, you know, as far as the best-case scenario goes, he remains asymptomatic. He's able to get back into the gym here in a few days. Uh, and, And then, you know, you start waiting either for two negative tests 24 hours apart or a 10 day minimum. So, you know, maybe they only play three times each of the next two weeks. Maybe it's five games, maybe it's six games. Uh, but you, you really don't know. You just hope that, I mean, beyond the basketball stuff, you hope that symptoms don't develop. And then, you know, from a basketball standpoint, if the symptoms don't develop, you, you know, maybe this isn't that long of a thing. We're talking to Dan Wojcicki. It's well said. So, Dan, the Lakers get that news. Then they go out yeah. and they do what they've done for a while, right? They go out and they play terribly against a yes, bad team for more than a half. Like, how do you explain that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sort of who they've been, right? I mean, I think that's I – mean, I mean, the Lakers have not played like a good team 
really since the playoffs last season, since game three of the playoffs last season, uh, that, you know, it's funny, Jim, I was sitting there at Staples Center. I can still call it Staples Center for another two weeks. I was sitting there. um, For as long as you want. (laughs) Um, And uh, I was sitting out there watching, uh, you know, the Lakers going a 16-0 run on Sunday, and you're like, wow, this is the best stretch of basketball that, that they've played maybe all year. And then you look across the court and you see it's against a four-win Pistons team, and you, and you try to kind of you, you try to balance those two things, right? You try to say like, how much of this is the Lakers turning a corner? How much is this that they're playing bad teams? Because that's sort of the dirty little secret of this this Lakers season so far, Jim, is that they've played a pretty soft schedule, right? Like that they, they have not played good teams, and it's looked really really hard almost every night that they've played. I, you know, last night against Sacramento, uh, just a miserable first half. They look like a group that had never met each other before. Um, you know, guys, <laughs> no spacing whatsoever, not getting any stops, getting beat on like rudimentary basketball plays, like the pick and roll, right? Little, little play that, that, that that's only been around the NBA for, <laughs> you know, 60 years. Um, you know, they, it's like, they've never tried to guard it before. And, and then, I would say if you're looking for cr- like crumbles of optimism, though, like like they have for maybe the last three weeks, like they actually adjusted well and were a totally different team in the second half, and you know kind of one up uh, what, what we saw in Detroit. I mean, played just terrific in the third quarter and closed out a game and really kind of had their easiest win of the season. Um, you, you know, and, and maybe you're starting to see some signs of positivity. It's just. It's so hard to tell because the schedule has been incredibly kind to them. I was going to say, Dan, like maybe, maybe if you're an optimist maybe. and you want to see something positive, but then you remember it's against Sacramento. Then you remember how bad they were in the first half. Then you remember that Frank Vogel said, I had to light another fire under them in that game at intermission. Like it seemed kind of strange at the time to completely wreck a team and demolish last year's roster. A few months on, how does that decision look to you now? And what was the motivation behind that strategy? Well, I mean, I think to, to, to kind of answer that backwards, I mean, the motivation was scenarios just like this, right? Where um, LeBron James is getting older. They saw what, an, and, and look, for them to win a title, um, they know they need LeBron James not only to be on the court, but to be healthy. Um, but, but to kind of navigate a regular season, you know, they felt like they, last year when, when LeBron James and Anthony Davis both were out, that they just simply didn't have enough star power, right? They didn't have enough to get it done. They're the Lakers, like, there is like sort of a, a um, like the, there's like a reverse outlet mall mentality, right? Where it's like you pay extra for the name brand labels, right? right. Sometimes in right. Los Angeles, and, and, and sort of you, you know um, you have an opportunity to get uh, you know a future Hall of Famer um, in Russell Westbrook, and that's what he is. Um, one of the 75 best players ever to play the game, and that is what he is. Um, he's probably one of the 10 most confusing players ever to play the game too. Um, but, but you kind of, you, you add, you, you get a chance to add sort of another superstar and this is sort of like, you, you know, the Lakers MO, um, 23 games in or wherever we're at right now. Um, I mean, they decimated their depth, Jim. And I think beyond the Westbrook acquisition, acquisition, uh, uh, sorry, acquisition, like you're, you're looking at a team that, that made the gamble to kind of trade defense for offense when it comes to role players and the bad news has been, is that the, like the offense has been bad. Like it has not been a good offense. There's no spacing. 
Um, they play in the shoebox functionally every night on offense because you don't have to guard Russell Westbrook. And, and look, the, the Lakers are kind of tweaking things, and I think you know over the last couple of weeks have have experimented with some lineups that have looked a little bit better. I think they're going to have to go smaller more consistently just to get themselves more spacing, which was kind of the plan originally. But, you know, all the injuries that they've had have, have sort of slowed that down. But, uh, you know, yeah, to me this seems more like a construction problem than a management issue in terms of Frank Vogel. Uh, but Vogel is not to be fully absolved in any of this either. I mean, like, you, you know, they're still starting DeAndre. You know, they started DeAndre Jordan last night. They've been starting Avery Bradley. The numbers on Avery Bradley have been – very very bad um but you know what frank vogel would tell you is like he tries hard on defense and and this is a team that needed to have someone on the court who tries hard on defense it 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 really is sort of like a boat that has holes in it um you know in six different places and it feels like to plug one, you've, you've, you've got to take in water somewhere else. Dan Wojcicki is joining us. All right, Dan, so we talk about that at great length. In the meantime, you've got Golden State and Phoenix playing last night. Now they're both 18-3. Yeah. and three. What was your biggest takeaway from that game last night? I mean, just, just how much better they, they, they are than everybody else in the conference, first of all, right? That, that these teams are at a different level than everybody else. Um, I think Phoenix, to me... Um, you know, has cemented itself as a real contender in the West, which seems like a silly thing to say um, based on, you know, the fact that they won the conference last year. They played in the, 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 the NBA Finals and were up 2-0 in the NBA Finals. But, you know, I think within the league, a lot of people viewed last season as, as a fluky year in a lot of ways, right? And um, because of, you know, no crowds, because of the pandemic, because of the – sort of carryover effects of uh, the bubble and the compressed off season. Um, A lot of really smart people, people smarter than me, you know, would say that like, you know, people who put an asterisk on the bubble season were missing the point that the year after was always going to be the weirder season. Right. And it kind of borne out to be a pretty weird season. Um, But, you know, I I think Phoenix is for real. You you know, they've got terrific lengths. Um, Mikel Bridges is uh, just a fantastic defender, the kind of versatile defender that you need in the playoffs that you can put on a Steph Curry. Look, you're not going to shut down Steph Curry to the extent that he did last night, every night, but but you can make life more complicated, and I think that's what Mikel Bridges did. Um, they've got a, a lot of uh, a, a, just a lot of playable pieces, and, and look, credit to the Suns. They've weathered some injuries to their depth, and they still kind of figure it out. And then you look, you look at the Warriors, a team that plays with so much freedom and joy in Steve Kerr's system. I think uh, there's been a little bit of a referendum on, on Steve Kerr as a head coach. Uh, I, I think that, you know, it's easy to kind of look at the talent they've had and say, oh, this is just like a roll the ball out, out of the court situation. But, I mean, I think they play with a really definitive style and energy and, and good on Steve Kerr, good on Draymond Green, good on Steph Curry for kind of, for implementing that with, with another interesting group of players. And, um, you know, those teams to me are, are head and shoulders above everybody else in the Western Conference right, right now. And then Clay comes back. James Wiseman will be back really quickly. Sure. Really quickly, Dan. What do you like? Say say what you want, not you, but many will, about CP3 <laughs> and his play in the finals. Is there anybody yeah. aging better than this guy? And what do you make of his play at this point in his career? Well, other, other than the two of us, Jim, I, I think, um, yeah, no, he is uh, – he is in like fine wine territory right now. I mean, it's just his game has always been sort of based. I mean, he's not, Chris would tell you, right? Like he's not an athletic guy um, necessarily, right? Like, I mean, this is somebody who, 
<laughs> you, you know, you hear stories about like LeBron James and like, and like playing football and other people like doing things like that. Like what's Chris Paul's favorite thing to do in his leisure time is to go bowling. Right. Right. Like that's that, like, that speaks to sort of, I think, you know, the kind of general, like explosive athlete that he is. Twitchy. Look, he's incredible. He's incredibly quick. He's incredibly smart. Uh, he's incredibly sort of um, addicted to, to winning situations. Um, so he will do anything, right? Like this is a, a like slit your throat kind of competitor. Like he will do whatever it takes uh, to, to get an edge. And um, his game is aged so well. It's incredible. Like, you, you know, there was a time in the league where like Chris Paul was like the untradeable contract, right? Like nobody wants to pay this guy when he's 40. Um, I think right now I can think of a lot of teams that would line up to pay this guy at 40 years old. Uh, he, he's just, he's such a, a wonderful, it reminds me sort of like, like Broncos Peyton Manning. Like still, right? Like, like maybe it's not quite what it used to be, but, but man, the command of everything is, is just, is just so spot on. And that's what you see. I mean, no no team takes on an identity um, like the way a Chris Paul team takes on. He just he just he makes you serious right away, and Phoenix is embracing. Starting with some tweets and emails, then I'll work my way back to the phones. First one, the tone setter, Rome. I have a beef with people audibly laughing at their movie on an airplane. I was traveling for the holidays, and the dude sitting behind me was cracking up like he was in the front row at the Laugh Factory. I had my three-year-old and my one-year-old, and this knucklehead slapping his knees was still the most annoying person in a 10-row radius. Taylor in Manhattan Beach. That's how you start that. Well done, Taylor. I agree with you. I've never understood that. There's always that one a-hole on an airplane who's laughing out loud, like, like totally unaware. Are you kidding me? Like, I would stifle my laughter over a funny line. This dude up front is like a hyena. That's a good point, Taylor. Well done. Way to start me off. This one says, my beef is with my wife's hangers. The top of the hanger has a cutout on each side, presumably to hold dress straps. But every time I grab one of my shirts off one of those hangers, the hanger fights back and won't let me have it. So every morning, 6 a.m., hanger and I have to drop gloves and go at it. Padre fan and 619. That's different. I like that. I like different. You know, I've done this for so long, this segment, that anytime you get something fresh, it makes it better. Rome, my beef is with my creepy aunt who likes to greet her nieces and nephews by kissing them on the lips instead of the cheeks. We are grown-ass adults, not some kids. I don't even kiss my own parents on the lips. When the holidays roll around, I have to act like a boxer who is hanging on tightly to their opponent in the 12th just so she doesn't have the space to plant one on my lips. Zach in Vancouver. Hey, Zach, I got a question. Does it involve tongue? Then what are you crying about, dude? And I see it working. You know what you should do if you, if you really are like a boxer who's hanging on in the 12th? You should put a mouth guard in, too. A mouthpiece. You should go headgear. You should go headgear and mouthpiece. Rome. My beef is with the guy who says, I'll start my diet at the start of the new year. Hey, you lazy hack. You're going to do what you do every year. Work out for the first few weeks of January. 
meal prep, eat clean, then return to reality in February and stuff your face with cheeseburger fries or whatever you eat. Dude, you're not fooling anyone. Steven. Yeah, but Steve, why, why does that bother you so much, man? It makes it easier for you, dude. Don't take that so personally. If they can't do it and you are doing it, you win. Jim, my beef is with people who host Thanksgiving dinner in a small house. They invite 30 people to a three-bedroom house with one bathroom. Some of us had to eat on the couch, love seat, and card table. The turkey was undercooked. Most everybody got sick. Uncle Fred was in the can with the fish wrap, wailing like a widow at a funeral, leaving the rest of us to fend for ourselves. Jim and Temecula, there is your leader in the clubhouse. That sounds horrible. Jim, I have beef with my old man on Thanksgiving. He was like non-old trapper beef jerky. <laughs> Dry, shriveled, and tasteless. All he did was pound bush light and cry and moan about my son making a smoked turkey instead of a roasted one. He self-glossed himself the turkey king and said that he would have done better. Hey, it was delicious and a heck of a lot better than the crap you usually have. Be thankful. Jim and Hastings. It's a lot of beef with family today. Aunts, wives, fathers. Romy... I got a beef with the tool in front of me at the drive-thru. Dude got his food, drove to the end of the drive-thru, checked his food, realized it wasn't correct, and is now trying to put it in reverse to get back to the window. Hey, buddy, unless you're driving a DeLorean, you're not going back in time. <laughs> you're not going back in time to this window. Pull into a parking stall and walk inside or get to the back of the damn line. Geoff and Lincoln, not bad, Geoff. And for you, it's really good, actually. Mick Chicken Man tweets, My beef is with the guy who texts you gibberish, and then when you text what, his reply is, Whoops, darn talk to text. I don't care if it's talk to text. Tell me what the hell you want. Jim, my beef is with Ben Roethlisberger. Is a Steeler? Oh, no way. An actual sports beef? No way. <laughs> My beef is with Ben Roethlisberger. As a Steeler fan, I am beyond sick of watching this noodle-armed statue being rolled out there every week, especially when I see mobile QBs who challenge defenses. Big Ben fashions himself as Tom Brady, but in reality, he doesn't put in the work. He keeps shoveling donuts and cheeseburgers down his pie hole as he keeps collecting that fat paycheck. Hey, Ben, get lost. We don't love you anymore. Brian and Charlotte. It does usually end like that, doesn't it? That's solid. Dear Jim, my beef is with the bag at work who ends every sentence with, just saying. Yeah, I know you're just saying. Because you just said it to me. Stop saying that, idiot. Just saying. Brent and PC coming with some edge. Mr. Rome, my beef is with the dude that packs a fat lip of chew. Fat. Before playing pickup basketball at the YMCA. 
Every time this mouth breather sets a pick on me, I get the overwhelming stench of wintergreen mint. Get that log out your lip and get that stank breath out my face, you knucklehead. Nick and Erie. Nick, I think it's a strategy, dude. I think it's a tactic. Hey, Jim. I have a beef with the guy at a sporting event that puts his two fingers to his fat face and does that loud, annoying fan whistle. Seriously, sounds like an F-16 went off in my ear. I think this act should be added to the list of reasons to go since it does cause me physical harm because I go deaf for at least five minutes afterwards. Steven in Sacktown. Just pounding through the beefs. This one says, here's my beef. When I'm getting off the highway and I throw my blinker on to prepare to exit, and that's when the asshat who's been bouncing around in my blind spot for the past 17 miles decides to stomp his gas pedal right through the floor. Now we're racing down the freeway at Mach 3 because homeboy is over here trying to live out his NHRA drag racing dream on L.A. freeways. Signed CJ in LA. I like it. At Shark Attack Mountain tweets, my beef is with coworkers who walk around the office barefoot. This isn't the Shire, you brain dead hobbits. Come on, dude. Is anybody walking around barefoot? Nobody's doing that, dude. I, I mean, do you work on the beach? Are you a lifeguard? Nobody's walking around barefoot. I'm fine with beefs. Just don't make them up. At T-Rob Actor, my beef is with the same bleeping crow that waits until I wash my car, then drops a giant bird turd on my clean ride every damned time. It really cooks my goose. Dude, how do you know it's the same one, is it? Hello, Jim. My beef is with anyone who consumes or sells bread and butter pickles. This trash should be illegal, along with green bean casserole. If you enjoy sugar, cucumbers, Windex, and ass, then these are for you. These pickles shouldn't even be allowed to be sold. Absolutely disgusting, straight garbage. War garlic dills. Matt in the SRQ. Hey, Jim. Adding to your take on Monday, my beef is the zoo, pumpkin patch, amusement park, etc., making the only exit through the gift souvenir store. As your kids go nuts with the I wants while you're trying quickly to herd them to the car. Be glad you made it to the parking lot. BZ in Pensacola. Man, there's a ton of them today. Hey, Jim. My beef is with my tiny daughters standing a centimeter in front of the door when it's time to go outside. Yo, kids, I can't open it up. Back the F up. Casey in New Hampshire. Casey, at least they want to go outside. Dude, at least they want outside. At least they're not stuck inside gaming or on their phones. Dear Van Smack, (laughs) my beef is with positive thinking people. 
Take a look at the world around you. Half the planet is burning down or sinking into the ocean. Dictators on the verge of taking over free countries. Hatred, fear, panic on every street. Failing school systems. Pandemics. No one showing up to work at McDonald's. NBA teams wearing so many different uniforms that you can't even tell the Lakers from the Celtics anymore. Mankind is doomed. We don't need your happy, bubbly, everything will be all right attitude to convince us otherwise. Mike and Casey. <laughs> Jeff and NoCal is in. Jim, my beef is with long story short. If you hear this, run like hell because you're about to be treated to somebody bloviating for 15 minutes about having chicken stuck in their teeth. You want to make your story shorter? Do not start it with long story short. That's a record right there, man. That's more tweets and emails we've ever had than we've ever had during the beef segment. Let's go to the phones. I'm running this thing out as long as I possibly can. Let's go to Wichita, James. Good to have you, James. What's your beef? Yeah, I got a beef. I got a beef with unlocked kitchen cabinets that keep my old trapper safe. That can't seem to keep it safe. All these protein pirates that sail through my kitchen and loot my cabinets like it's their own personal treasure chest. Jim, every time I turn somebody on to old trapper, they love it. Simply life-changing. Full-time meal, part-time snack. Now I'm full on protein. War protein pirates, war unlocked kitchen cabinets. Now I'm out to buy a lock. War from the dub. Rack him. Nice job, James. Rack him. I love that call. Not because he's all about the sponsor. Well, because he's all about the sponsor. But that he's calling out, quote, protein pirates. Great line. Protein pirates. All right, let's go to Erie, PA. Dominic in Erie. Dominic, good to have you. What is your beef? Hey, Mr. Rome. Great show so far, as it always is. You know, my beef is with athletes who just won the championship, and they say it's such a humbling experience. You're at the top of the world making millions of dollars with the hottest of babes, and you just won a ring. That is the furthest thing from humbling you douche. Oh, and speaking of douches, that Kathleen hag isn't funny at all and ruins the part of the beef segment. Hashtag no more lady clones. Dom, he's out. Did you just say that hag, Kathleen? <laughs> 1-800-636-8686. I'm here to tell you that, quote, hag ain't having it. I haven't seen her yet, which is unusual, but I guarantee she ain't having it. Let's go to Boise. Ty, you made it in. Ty, good to have you. What's your beef? Jim, Jim my beef is when you pass the guy and going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit and you get the bird. Just press on the freaking gas pedal a little bit and go the speed limit. It's not going to kill you or anyone else, but it's killing me, old man. War Lady Clone's making the show better, despite what the last guy said. That a boy. Nice job, Ty. Appreciate it. It's not a reason to go. It's not personal, man. If you're driving under the speed limit and we go around you, that's not a reason to go, and that's not personal. I, I told you, I once passed a guy coming out of my neighborhood guy in a truck, like an electrical truck. This dude followed me to a gas station and got in my face and wanted to fight. I'm like, yo, bro. Yo, bro. That ain't personal, dude. I, I know. I know you got a problem with life. He hit me with a P-bomb, and he was going crazy because I passed him. That dude was looking to start something, no doubt in my mind. 
1-800-636-8686. Let's go this time to Michigan. Jack. Good to have you, Jack. What's your beef? My beef is with Winbag Parent. Winbag Parent wants you to remember their family as they go through the stressful time of deciding whether Junior will take a full-ride scholarship to Stanford or MIT. They think Junior is the example of a model 18-year-old. The reality is he's the group of a candy bar. Hey Jack, my beef is the quality of your phone call. I don't know if you're trying to swallow your phone or what was going on. I kind of liked it, but this is absolutely incredible, right? Like when you think, I, I mean, I'm just stringing these things back to back to back to back. I could probably do three hours of this. I'm having a good old time. Let's keep it going. 1-800-636-8686. You know what the great thing, the great thing is too? I mean, from every state in the country, we are getting beefs from everywhere. Let's go to East Tennessee. Anthony, good to have you. What's your beef? Anthony, what's going on? You're on the air. Yeah. My beef is with professional athletes that go out there after the game and start talking to each other and pull their shirt up and put their hand over their mouth like they're hiding from the FBI or something, like it's some secret thing they're trying to tell each other. That drives me up the wall. Are they that important of people that they have to do that? Come on now. That drives me crazy. My man, Anthony, I got you. I mean, there is mutual respect. Maybe they know each other from college. Maybe they know each other from AAU, youth football. Maybe they don't want us hearing them tell each other like, yo, what's up, man? How's the fam? How's your girl? How the kids? I don't know. It is your beef, though. It's cool. Banging through it. We still have some steam. We still have some juice. Let's go to the ABQ. Paul in Albuquerque. Good to have you, Paul. What's hey, Rome, I, I, hey, Rome, I just moved here from Los Angeles, and the beef I have is learn, uh, how people butcher the English language out here in Albuquerque. For instance, it's sandwich instead of sandwich. It's Sonics instead of Sonic. It's Dynamos instead of Dominoes. It's get down from the car instead of get out of the car. It's a constant here, and that's my biggest beef. Oh, man, that's funny. Nice job, Paul. <laughs> he just moved to Albuquerque from L.A., and they're butchering the language. You know, they're two of my favorite towns, though, dude. You know that. Albuquerque is an original four affiliate. I love Albuquerque. I'm a Los Angeles native, so I feel you. This is incredible. Let's go to Alaska. Before we wrap it, Matt in Alaska. Matt, what's your beef? Jimmy, it's good to talk to you again. I got a beef with the callers today. These calls are Bush League. Can you please get us back to Twitter and the email? I'm out. (laughs) Not too bad. Not too bad. They've been better. They've been worse. 1-800-636-8686. You know, the amazing thing is I just ran that thing out for 20 straight minutes. Literally. That may be a record for the segment. And every line is still lit. Chalk, is there one more to walk off on, or was that the one? Let's get one more in here. Houston, John in H-Town. You're going to close the show. John, good to have you. What's your beef? Hey, Jim, my beef is when I'm watching my child at the playground, and another parent's constantly watching their phone, watching their phone. Then she, she, oh, he lifts her heads up. Where's my child? Where's my child? She's asking me. And I'm like, watch your own damn child. And I got to point over there. And then she goes, 
breathes a sigh of relief, then just gets right back with her nose in the phone. Got it. <laughs> All right. Where's my child? Where's my child? Your child's over there. Oh, good. I can go back to my phone now. I remember once I was at Balboa Park. Strange thing about Balboa Park. That's in the 818 San Fernando Valley. I actually used to take tennis lessons when I was a kid at Balboa Park. We lived in the valley before we moved to where we are right now. And strangely enough, my kid played soccer. I know, really weird, right? Jake played soccer, then Logan played soccer because that's what kids did. And all these kids were lined up and they were they were sitting like Indian style, you know, with their legs crossed and their soccer ball in front of them. And this one bitch, yeah, I said it, this mom stomps across the field and rips Jake's soccer ball from him. Damnest thing I've ever seen. And Jake immediately starts crying because he's like four. And I walk over to this woman. I'm like, excuse me, ma'am, what are you doing? She's like, it's my ball. I'm like, it's not your ball. She's like, it's my ball. I'm like, can you turn that ball over for a minute? In giant red letters, Rome. And she's like, oh, mm, mm. I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, yeah, things happen at the park, man. For, for some reason, that stayed with me. The only, the only thing more aggravating to me about soccer and my family is Logan once scored six goals in a game and was all proud and feeling himself. I'm like, dude, stop telling people that. Stop embarrassing the family. You know, you know, 10 years forward, I'll put your pitching up on my Instagram story, but I'm not putting any of your goals up. Stop telling people you scored six goals. You're embarrassing me. And no, that's not a humble brag. I mean that he embarrassed me. Stop telling people you scored six goals, son. They'll know you play. Which brings me, of course, to my famous story. Yeah, I know, I know, Albie. I know, break, break. Can you imagine when Logan said, hey, Dad, you know what I want for my birthday? Anything you want, son. Yeah, I want to go to an LA Galaxy game. Yeah, anything but that. That's all I want. Yeah, we're not doing that. I'd rather go back to Disneyland with 12 of your friends and go through the toy store and give them a $40 budget. Yeah, Dad, I really want to go to a Galaxy game. Oh, hell no. Break. Let's get out of here, Albie. Good job. Of course, Greg Berhalter is my best friend now. The coach of the USMNT. Greg Berhalter is the best coach I know in any sport. Ryan Shazier is my guest. Ryan, it's really good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's good to have you, Ryan. Really good to have you. You know, it's been a minute or two since you and I have spoken, so I was looking forward to getting caught up with you. A lot to talk about, but first things first, your book did drop yesterday. You are now officially a published author. How does that feel? Uh, it, it feels amazing. It feels amazing. When I was growing up, uh, one day I didn't know if I would be it was an author. You know, I was, I was never a, a big writer, so... Uh, to now be a published author is an amazing feat, and I'm really excited about it. Good for you. All right, so why don't we go back, Ryan? For instance, when you were a sophomore in high school, and of course you talk about this at length, but when you were a sophomore in high school, you were diagnosed with scoliosis. What did the doctor tell you about your future in football at that time? Yeah, I had a, I had a doctor at that time tell me my scoliosis was going to need surgery and that I was not going to be able to play football again, and I was going to have to start uh, – Basically, I can't play any contact sports, so that kind of broke my heart and my family's heart. 
And the one thing my parents did, they didn't just listen to that one doctor. They had got other opinions from other doctors. And the other doctors, they said they would find a way to allow me to continue the, 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 not fix it, but help the process of my scoliosis. And that, that allowed me to play football. All right, so Ryan, the thing is, the story goes that you wore a bulky brace. You slept in an upright position for months to try to make sure that you could keep on playing football. Like, what was it about the game that you loved so much that you were willing to make those sacrifices to keep on playing? I just, I mean, I was playing football since I was five years old, so all I know is the game of football. And and I was really good at that time. So for me to be told, hey, you'll never be able to play football again, and I was right in the prime of my high school career. I was as a sophomore. I was starting to get uh, schools looking at me. I started getting offers. So it was, it, was, it was more than just, hey, Ryan, you can't play football. It was, man, you know, my life. Uh, can change if I get a scholarship to go play football, and I just want to make sure that I continue to push forward with that, and and that's why it was so important to me. Ryan Shays here joining us. The book is called Walking Miracle. It came out yesterday, so that's exactly what you did. You kept going forward. You kept playing. You go to Ohio State. You have an amazing career there. Then you're a star with the Steelers. What was your life like at that point? Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, the one thing I, that I noticed as playing. Uh, that in the NFL is, is really fun, it's really awesome, but you still have to work hard. And people might say, you know, Ryan, you worked hard to get to where you got. But I did work hard, but if you want to be special, you have to find a niche that works for you to even work harder. And that's why I started to find out the, the, the two times I ended up being a pro bowler and as I was continuing to move forward and – because it can be all fun and games, and you you can be a good player, make a lot of money, but if you want to be a special one, you have to put in a little bit extra and do a little bit more. And I started to notice that, and I, I really uh, felt like I was going to another level. Ryan Chazier joining us. There's that, and you know the one thing, when I think about when you played the game and I used to watch you, the thing that always struck me about you was the speed that you brought to the game. You just seemed to play at a different level, a different gear, faster excuse me, than everybody else, you write about the adrenaline rush that comes along with forcing a fumble or picking off a pass. Is there any way to describe for listeners what that felt like? Yeah, it's almost hard to explain, and I think that's one of the reasons Tom Brady still plays the game of football, because I love, you know, being a father. I love uh, owning the business, writing the book. love being, you can't really explain that feeling. It's, It's it's, it's such an adrenaline rush. It's almost like you're jumping out of a plane or, you know, you're doing something that is almost that people wouldn't believe you get the opportunity of doing. So to be able to do that on the highest level, it, I don't see many things that can compare to those things. And I know Tom Brady wants to play until, you know, he's 60 years old, and I don't blame him because, you know, winning Super Bowls, that's, you, you, can have, you have amazing feelings. Like, having my kids is one of the best emotions and feelings I ever had in my life. But it's not the same type of feeling as playing in the NFL or picking off a pass or scoring a touchdown or getting a sack when you need it, you know. So it, it, it's, it's really hard to make it uh, people make people feel what it's like. But imagine, you know, the best day of your life 
but you get to do that multiple times in one day. You mm. know, so that's kind of like that's. I think that's kind of the best way to explain those type of things. Right. Ryan Shea is here joining us. Ryan, I want to be respectful about how I talk about this, but going into the December 4th, 2017 game against Cincinnati, you had a high ankle sprain. There was the thought that maybe you would not play, but you decided that you wanted to go because you were a leader on one of the best defenses in the league. You were battling for home field at that point. At one point, you went to tackle Josh Malone, and you thought to yourself, keep your head up before you hit him. What do you remember about what happened next? The thing that was so crazy with that play is that he did a drag ride. It was just a typical play. And I seen him, and I was like, hey, you know, uh, let me keep my head up. And the NFL, they implemented rules, you know, to try to keep guys' heads up so they don't really get hurt. So I was like, let me try to practice on, you know, make a, a tackle with my shoulder. And Because before when I tackle people, I didn't go in like, oh, I'm about to make a big hit or, oh, I'm about to try to hit his head with my head. I literally just ran my fastest to people, and I'm like, I'm going to take you down the best way I can take you down. If I, if I hit your leg, I'm going to hit your leg. If I hit your shoulder, I'm going to hit your shoulder. But it wasn't like, oh, on the way there, I'm going to hit his leg. I'm going to hit his shoulder. I'm going to hit his head. You know, it was more of, I'm on, like, I'm on my way there, and then this is the quickest body, body part I can grab, or this is, you know, this is the fastest way I can hit him. You know, so um, on that play, I was like, man, this is a typical play, so this isn't hard at all. So I actually, like, slowed down and th- thought about how I was going to hit him. And I tried to get my head out of the way, and I ended up hitting it in the hip. And that's how I ended up getting hurt. So, Ryan, you had lost complete function at one point, and you knew that you were told that you had a 3% chance of walking again. Then you started to wiggle your toes. Your walking percentage increased to 20%. These are really, really scary numbers. Like, there is so much to your story, but how were you able to find the emotional, the mental, and physical toughness to get through this and walk again? So one of the things that, I knew was that my whole life I was kind of against the odds. Having alopecia at a young age, only about 20% of people have alopecia. Having scoliosis, about 20% of people have that. And then making it to the NFL, you know those odds, that's like less than 1%. You know, or making it, the college, uh, making it to a D1 school, that's less than 1%. You know, And then even if you make it to D1, to be an All-American, that's less than 1%. <laughs> you know, so... To be able to get all those things, get all those accolades, and understand that, hey, I had to work my butt off to get all these things, but I was always against the odds. I was like, hey, I don't see this being any different. I've been against the odds my whole life. I've overcame so much my whole life. It's only it's only building me up for this moment to overcome this. And that's kind of the mindset I took going to this. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, right? Like, you had always beaten the odds, and you're like, this is just the next thing. Let me ask you this. Was there ever any point in the process where you asked, why me? I didn't really have a lot of why me moments. I might, like, people, everybody's going to say why me, but I didn't really have a lot of those. Um, I, I had more of, uh, what's, what's the plan? Because I'm a believer in God. And I was, it was more, what's the plan? And how do you want to use me? Because... I thought my plan was to play football until, you know, 15 years. And obviously he, he had another plan for me. God had another plan for me. So I just did what I had to do to focus on that and just try to be the best I can be and use what I'm going through as a vision to continue to move forward. Because when you start asking why me and think about all the things you've done to succeed, and it, it's only going to make you cry or make you – put yourself down or 
getting really tough situations that is going to really be hard to overcome. So I wanted to make sure I didn't do that to myself because people can always look back at times when they're like, oh, man, this was awesome. But me going back and thinking about a pick I might have had in college or me going back and like, man, if I never got hurt, you know, never played that game, I'll probably still be in the NFL and making great money. Like, I can think about all that stuff all the time, but it's not going to make me feel any better. So one thing I wanted to do is really just focus in on what made me feel better and, and how I can continue to get better through that. And so I, that's why I didn't want to say why me. Ryan, I think that what you just said, I, I, I cannot stress what an amazing response that is to me because I think that what you went through is so much more dramatic than what 99.9% of the people listening would ever go through. But I think we all get sucked into that, right? Like everything was better back in the day, right? Everything. And if you get so caught up in thinking about that, you can't look forward and you can't process what's in front of you, right? Isn't that the bottom line? Yeah, that's the bottom line. But, but Jim, even think about it. Even back in the day, I made it All-American. You know, I was first-team All-American. But I even told myself back in the day, man, I wish I won the Heisman. Or I wish I wouldn't never won. So it's like, you all, like, so instead of, you know, trying to go back, because even those days when it was everything was perfect, you still had want. There's always something. Wishes. It was always something. So it's, uh, to me, I was like, I'm not going to go back to that moment and think about, man, this was so great. Because there was still something that, I wish I had then. So I, I, I tell myself now, all right, this is the situation. All right, Ryan, let's see, figure out how we could thrive through this situation. And, and that's what I wanted to do. I love this. I love this so much. This is the situation. Let's figure out how to thrive in this situation. This book came out yesterday. It's called Walking Miracle. Ryan Shazier was a two-time Pro Bowl selection. Like, I could run these things down, but that kind of defeats the message. The message being, this is the situation. Let's thrive in this situation. Ryan, I really appreciate you. So great to get caught up. Congrats on the book. Let's be sure we can do it again soon and finish off that conversation. Yeah, I definitely love to talk again. Thank you so much for having me. And, and I think this book, you know, it it, it, it can help everybody. And, and one thing I like to talk about is with all this going on with COVID, and I feel like my book is a perfect example of it, nobody expected the world to shut down for two whole years. And to me, nobody expected me to ever be injured, but then overcome it. Good night now!